was just telling Brendan I'm sick as a dog right now, so excuse my my coughing on the line. Um, I'll try to keep it to a minimum. <laughs> That's where you yeah. you're supposed to cough right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, the nice thing about nicotine is it is a cough suppressant, so we'll just chain smoke through the thing. <laughs> just get those lozenges. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, and it was even worse because uh, last night I took a thing that was supposed to be kind of a like an overnight cough suppressant, um, and I went to bed around one and woke up like one hundred percent awake at five o'clock this morning. Um, and apparently, one of the known side effects of the drug is like incredible insomnia. Oh. So. Yeah, so I got uh, four hours of sleep that is when what I really needed was like because 10. I similarly woke up at like 2.45 and I was oh, like, God. oh, it must be like mm, like five or six. And it, it yeah. was not. And I was like, I'll just go yeah. back to bed. And it just didn't work that great. <laughs> nope. Nope. It was like I, I wasn't I was tired, but not at all sleepy. You know, I laid in bed for about a half an hour and finally was like, I may as well get up and get on Twitter or something because <laughs> this isn't working. Oh, yeah. So that's been a lot of fun. John, how's your insomnia? <laughs> well, funny you should ask because I um, I have also been doing this weird thing where I've been falling asleep for exactly three hours and then waking up completely refreshed, and I think it's a trick. Mm, that's like some Batman <laughs> shit. You just got to start taking advantage of that. Yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah, but the thing is I can I can't time when it happens. <laughs> like I went to change the sheets today and I woke up and it was 3 hours later. Right. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, it's like that uh Surprise there's there's that that really weird sleep schedule thing where it's like you lay down, you go to sleep for exactly I think it's like 2 hours or something and then you wake up for an ex- for exactly an hour and a half and then go right back to bed like at the end of that and apparently it's like the natural sleep schedule way to do things but people who do it end up not being able to get anything done because if you did the math like those numbers don't add up to a 24 hour day so like over time your periods of wakefulness and sleep are like sliding farther and farther off of what we consider to be a real schedule Yes, but isn't the 24-hour day only mandated by industrial um, capitalism? Well, and, <laughs> yeah. and, like, the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Earth's, Earth's rotation on its axis is a is a capitalist construct, Brendan. Imp- imperialist, in fact. I'm learning so much on this, Conservative Political Action Conference. We are Liquid Flannel. I'm Matthew Hodges, joined by my co-host, Brendan Williams, and our special panelist, John Lovett. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Cromulent. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Democrats want to murder your dog, and I'm here to stop it. I think it's going to be kind of a hard act for us to follow. Um, I couldn't believe that they got Nancy Pelosi in here uh, just before us to talk about how there's no way to pay for Medicare for all. <laughs> um, that really brought down the house. Yeah. 
Is it just me or are headlines like starting to repeat faster and faster? <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could have sworn it was just months ago that Trump was, uh, you know, failing to do a North Korea deal. And uh, it's, just, it's just happening again. It just keeps happening. It's fine because we're in hell. <laughs> I think it was uh, Bill Corbett on Twitter was like, this is just the way the world is. We're all on like some terrible merry-go-round in hell and everything comes back around at a quicker and quicker pace. Well, I've had a long-standing theory that I think the world was actually supposed to end in 1983 with um, <laughs> Petrov, and because like the nuclear launch was stopped, we're stuck in like a final destination thing where it's just going to keep looping back to the accident until it finally happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like a Donnie Darko situation. Yeah, it just rapidly deteriorates from that point on, and then they have to restart <laughs> it again to to break the loop. You you know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, Chuck it's, Schumer's. It's, Chuck Schumer's fictional, yeah. <laughs> Chuck Schumer's fictional, like uh, Irish-sounding family in his head, all wear those uh, like metal bunny masks. He just never <laughs> mentions that detail. Well, obviously, we didn't get our invite to uh, to CPAC, which is a shame. Maybe next year. Um, yeah, when they is, when they pivot kind of again to uh, to Midwestern socialism, <laughs> just to stick right. with the times, you know. It is it is kind of funny that it seems like at this point about 50% of the people who are there are like left and progressive leaning journalists and activists who are just there to watch the show and report on it. Oh, it's like a circus. I mean, it it's it's oh, yeah. quite the spectacle. Yeah. Oh, and and uh all the all the big names are there. Jacob uh, save a notable few. Yeah. Uh Jacob who did not get his uh his invite. Yeah, you uh you can't have been suspended from Twitter permanently apparently and still get into cpac <laughs> it's a unified yeah, Jacob Ball was there with the <laughs> right um uh, yeah uh sebastian gorka was there um heard some some really good commentary about how you know a bird can't fly without you know both a left wing and a right wing <laughs> and we need each other and you know uh, ad adhering to that that famous maxim that everything needs to function exactly like a bird are you saying you have problems with the tenets of radical birdism? <laughs> Our uh, motto, I, put a bird on it. You know, I actually I actually did take a bird law course in uh, law school, um, but it's been several years since then. I would need to brush up. <laughs> no, but, I mean, I mean, jokes aside, I thought like Jared Holt's um, report back from the big panel discussion at, at CPAC was actually kind of terrifying because it indicated that like there's no one there left that is not watching Fox News 24 hours a day and believes everything that is true. Oh, for sure. Oh, I think most of them have turned from Fox and they're just going full on like, I don't know, like One America News or like, I don't know, what's all that other, yeah, you know, Breitbart, <laughs> InfoWars. Right. Well, it's a little like what happened with like the Tea Party movement and continuing. It's like a lot of the people who were really active in that and like became those freshman uh, Congress people, they were not in on the scam. They believed it. And the problem right. is the marks are now running the show. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, John, we were commenting on that on Twitter earlier today that, um, you know, I think part of the part of the conservative obsession with like AOC and some of these other like younger progressives is um, like how badly they uh, how badly they're losing control of the narrative. And you made a very astute comment. I think that um, that basically the like right leaning liberal wing and certainly the conservatives 
have had the run of the board for so long that like capitalism uber alles was the thing. And now that they've got it all, they they don't know where to go from that. Yeah, like they have no like they have no coherent vision of the future, like what lies beyond this, because nothing lies beyond this because capitalist accumulation just keeps accumulating itself. And like we're starting to hit the hard border of like how much blood you can squeeze out of people yeah. before they they stop being productive before they yeah. stop being able to afford anything. It, and how much you can. The- yeah, how much you can squeeze out of the environment before it starts to yeah, have these yeah. really nasty feedback mechanisms. Right, like that's like the definition of late capitalism. There's no more le- there's no more growth to expand into, so we're all just trapped in the room eating ourselves. Right. Well, you guys, the the half of the bird that thinks that this is all okay because Jesus is going to come and start the end times, you need that half of the bird or else you can't <laughs> fly good. So you know, it's right. it's a whole yin and yang type situation <laughs> that they got going there. Yeah, the uh, the premillennial dispensationalists are, are definitely team players. They definitely need to be at the table with us figuring out what to do next about some of this stuff. If, if only there was some way that we could know in advance if that was true or not. Um, you know, I guess we'll just have to look to, you know, history's greatest uh, apocalypse hoaxes and just see how that worked out for everybody. <laughs> yeah, they're going to like they by 2020 they're going to demand that a, like a new green deal policy includes a program to breed a perfect red cow to end the world. <laughs> the, the, you need a seven, you know, armed sheep, uh, you know, that's the that's the only way that we could get there. Diamond and Silk will be there with the seven trumpets to open the seven seals. Be- well, beatboxing I, to the seven trumpets. <laughs> well, I mean like I, I sound portentous when I say it, but like we're literally living through the apocalypse and that the meaning of the word apocalypse means the removal of masks. And everyone's just saying the quiet part loud now. I, I did not know that etymology, but yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, there was that uh, that guy who's the governor of uh, of Maine, Paul LePage, basically coming out and saying, well, if you get rid of the electoral college, um, you know, that's just, you know, you're erasing white people from the map. You know, we might as well just give right. up now. Um, yep, which was a pretty a pretty stunning statement uh, if you think about it, because he's basically saying, "Well, currently we we have rigged the system where rural whites have all the political power, and you know all other races are kind of subjugated, and if we get rid of that, whoa, then then we're gonna have real problems." Um, right, you know that's a pretty shocking uh, bald faced. Uh, <laughs> admission but yeah why? uh speaking of speaking of masks coming off uh i believe the former vice president joe biden was in omaha today and uh had a, a pretty neat little sound clip where somebody brought up mike pence and he's like oh yeah mike pence he's a good guy it's like as if you needed any better evidence that joe biden a is like completely dead in the water for 2020 um but b like is basically a republican well, he and Pence are both like kind of um, unassuming looking white guys with white hair. So maybe he thought it was a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I think what he was what he was saying and his kind of message that he seems like he's pitching, which is absolutely hilarious, is we have to get back to normal. Right. That's his pitch where he was like, hey, remember, you know, when it was normal, which I don't think most people do. I don't actually know that that was even ever a thing that actually existed. It's basically like the Make America Great Again 
of centrist leftism where they're saying, well, what if we just went back to when Obama was president? Like, wasn't that better? And it's like, well, I mean, I, I guess it was better, but was it good? You know, I, I don't think that it necessarily was. And he was essentially saying, hey, look, you know, if we had a president, Mike Pence, you know, that would be closer to normal. And we could deal with that. And he was basically saying, you know, Pence went overseas and gave a speech and people disrespected him. And that's abnormal. And so we need to get back to where it can be normal again and the vice president can be respected. (laughs) Yeah, because nobody ever threw a shoe at George W. Bush's head, right? (laughs) But what about the civility? Right. Yeah, that's Uh, exactly right. And and I I think to your point, I think to your point that uh, like the normal look at who is saying we need to get back to normal. It's almost uniformly wealthy white people. Yeah. And it's just and it's not because like they're being made less rich or they're being like actually confronted on anything. It's that their constituents are calling them and being mean and the people on TV don't like them anymore. Right. <laughs> right. That You know, if they get back to normal, they don't really have to like do the hard work of like fixing our political system. They can just get back to saying, you know, nicer things to each other on cameras and then, you know, swimming in pools of lobbyist, corporate lobbyist money. Uh, that would be the yeah. back to normal that it seems like that they want to get back to because it really worked out great for the political class at that time. Everybody else, you know, well, well take it or leave it. But for them, it was doing really well. We're in this new world where your constituents have demands like that you fight for them, that you try to change things for the better. Whew, what a bunch of work that sounds like. I mean, come on. Yeah. And I don't How- think there's anything more uh, egregious or more obvious about this than the fact that uh, Robbie Mook, the guy who was pretty much single-handedly responsible for Hillary Clinton's terrible 2016 campaign strategy all algorithm based and you know we'll we'll be able to trust the rust belt states there's no need to campaign there like just got appointed to a really high level inside the what is it the dnc like congressional re-election committee or something well i can't wait to lose another 20 seats yeah. um it's just they all want to go back to this like really ahistorical period in world history, which is like roughly the last 40 years where the consensus was or the neoliberal pivot was it's impossible to do politics. So we're just not going to do it. We're just going to let the market figure, at, figure it out and act as like kind of a watchdog or a police group. But a government can't actually do anything. Yeah. And now now people want the government to do something and they're really confused and the word the magic words they use aren't working anymore and now they feel like (laughs) impotent wizards (laughs) i'm picturing mike pence as an impotent wizard now and it's actually way easier than i thought it would be (laughs) well a couple a couple of things that were outside the status quo we've we've bagged on the status quo but but before we go into our first break um i think that it would be important for us to talk about you know, things that are happening happening on a more local or grassroots level. Um, John, you shared an article with us about uh, some elections in Chicago. Did you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, no, the elections in Chicago were really, really uh, interesting. You know, after the disastrous Rahm Emanuel um, mayoralship, there's this like huge on the boots on the ground organizing. And I believe, yeah, five of the 
DSA endorsed members for city council and aldermen uh, won their election. All but two will go to runoff. Two were won outright. Um, I believe three of them are actual members. The other two were just endorsed. But like, you know, they're all they've kicked out a lot of like the most corrupt. And I know it's Chicago. So that's a real sliding scale. there. <laughs> right. But like a lot of like the most corrupt dead wood in the city politics has, are being replaced with like young, non-white, non-straight socialists. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. Uh, longtime listeners will remember that uh, when we ran our bracket for worst Midwestern politician uh, with Connor Golden, Rahm Emanuel ended up taking the bracket. Uh, just the his his awful neoliberal, um, blatantly racist uh, policies, uh, encouraging you know heavy policing, shutting down. Uh, community organizations, uh, schools in black districts, and a lot of the people that you see uh, who are about to take office in Chicago all ran on, uh, much like we've seen other places in the country where DSA or like leftist adjacent uh, candidates were all running on these very... Uh, these very materialist uh, positions. We need to, you know, reinvest in our schools. We need to have massive uh, police reform. Yeah, no, it's been extremely encouraging. There's also, uh, it's not in the news too much yet. I think that might change soon, but there's a really big strike going on in Erie right now with some uh, automobile factory workers. Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, it's one of the biggest industrial uh, strikes in modern history. They're trying to do that thing they did with the UPS system where they would like try to slowly phase out the union by bringing in non-union workers. Um, it's right in the middle of the Rust Belt. It's a real like, you know, because we've been seeing this wave of usually non-traditional, we don't think of it as like traditional employees striking, like uh, nurses and teachers. And now like this is like a traditional old school strike. Yeah, sure. I mean, this is this is the people that you see in their, uh, you know, like blue coveralls and, you know, walking around with the with the picket signs and everything. Right. Well, and I think it's it's pretty amazing that Trump ran successfully by in some ways appealing to those voters by saying a bunch of lip service about we're going to bring back manufacturing jobs. I'm going to save these jobs. I really care about these jobs. And then as soon as he got into office, he like threw some money, he like threw tax breaks at corporations and said like, oh, that's that fixes that problem. And then just basically walked away and it didn't fix the problem at all. So right. started a bunch of trade wars that are actually really bad for the American worker. Well, it's like we were talking about last week with Jordan Yule that um, the right wing economic populism is so obviously hollow and false, you know, because they'll they'll like you said, make those mouth noises toward populism. But then once they're actually in office, what are they doing? Um, so that's a that's a huge opportunity, I think, for uh, for the left to swoop in. Yeah, the actual um, populists. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, what a uh, setup, right? I mean, they're putting it on the ball on the tee there for you. I mean, it's just like, hey, they said they were going to do this and they didn't do it at all. And like sure. now we can actually get it done. Uh, so I think that's a, a winning message. And I hope Somebody who is a Democrat might run on that. Oh, you know, Bernie has already supported the, the the strike, but I think he might be the only one. So we'll see. Yeah. yeah well, Warren's kind of learning how to pivot left uh, slowly, but surely. So we'll see. Well, I think that's a good place to, to leave our first segment. Um, I want to come back after the break and talk about uh, John, you have a 
neat piece coming up in the baffler and we want to hear all about it so let's take a let's take a break there and we can pick into some of the uh maybe some of the more symbolic things around leftist movements they want to rebuild your home they want to take away your hamburgers this is what stalin dreamt about but never achieved you are on the front lines of the war against communism coming back to America under the guise of democratic socialism, which is just a PC term for communism. I want everyone to take to heart, Donald J. Trump is never going to let it happen. And as he said to Congress, America will never be a socialist country. John, you have a pretty big, what did you call it? It's like an art installation coming up in the baffler? It's an art showcase. An art showcase. Tell us about that in in the baffler. In the baffler, the uh, the journal that blunts the cutting edge. <laughs> Every issue is themed around a general concept, and the artist showcase is a bunch of linked artwork based around the theme. The theme for this issue, uh, which is coming out uh, March 5th, Wink, wink. It's the impossibility of paying for Medicare for all. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not unrelated because the theme is propaganda <laughs> and how ah. how political ideas enter people's heads and like how do you create – what is the creation of common sense? You know, one of the definitions of hegemony, the creation of common sense. So there are topics about propaganda campaigns in the Cold War. There are essays about advertising and uh, poll calling – all that good stuff. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to take a look at American propaganda back to the first Red Scare, which happened during the First World War, Okay. in which the American Socialist Party and the IWW were really on the upswing, and they were just brutally crushed down during the first wave of oppression. And I wanted to link the two time periods together because I thought materially your average worker has more in common with someone working in... 1918 than 1958, I think. Sure. And I, I wanted to get away of all like the usual Cold War stuff when we think about propaganda and go back to, well, what was the early labor movement like? And what how did people build their leftist movement in a time when we have to rebuild ours? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking about an era where like Emma Goldman was out there advocating for bombing factories and things like that if they wouldn't bend to the worker. And will. birth control. Sure. Yeah. And I just I feel it's a history because like the history of the labor movement is sort of deliberately not taught in schools. So I kind of wanted to approach it from that perspective, as well as like, there's some nice, I have some pieces about Rene Magritte, his writings on um, the use of political propaganda, because, hey, guess what? The pipe guy was a giant communist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he, he thought his paintings were actually about like upending bourgeois logic. Wait, so the, the guy who was looking at our culture and saying all of this is absurd, and we need to make fun of it as much as possible, wasn't dedicated to the ideas of uh, World War One hypernationalism and capitalism and industry. I know, weird, huh? Also <laughs> weird how you're never taught that in school. So where do you go with this piece? You are talking about the first Red Scare. Mm -hmm. How do you see that as being more similar to the current kind of leftist insurgency um, than, say, the second Red Scare? The key difference is the first Red Scare was organized uh, primarily around labor. 
and primarily around like unionization efforts. Okay. And it was also sort of directly about uh, supporting the poor and the ex- the people excluded from society, which was the majority of people. Sure. In creating that paradox. Well, and we were just coming out of you know the first U.S. Gilded Age, so that would have been much like what we have right now. It'd been a, it would have been a, a fertile planting ground uh, for for that kind of sentiment. Right, and much like now, when people accuse protesters of being paid agents of George Soros, there was a very common talking point at the time that everyone in the IWW was being paid for by the Kaiser's gold. Ah, right. <laughs> they, they hadn't quite gotten around to uh, cultural Bolshevism yet, huh? <laughs> yeah, Henry Ford would have started to be active at that time, so yeah. Sure. So uh, one of the pieces I have is just drawings of examples of items seized or restrictions from the U.S. mail during World War I under the Espionage Act. And the Espionage Act was used heavily against labor organizers by claiming that they were giving comfort to the enemy by causing internal strife. Which was probably true. I mean, much like you've got your your Sally's Albright on Twitter saying that all of this leftist uprising is actually a plot by the Kremlin to like destabilize society right now. Yeah, and it was also sort of more directly in that um, World War One was a draft war and conscription was incredibly unpopular. So... You had things like the World Peace Association, like anything associated from them would be removed from the mail. Any images of the industrial workers of the world, the man behind the bars, which was a call to arms to remember that people are getting arrested so that you like won't have to fight in this war, or so you won't, huh. so you won't get arrested the next time a union action happens. All kinds of like expanding the right, the voting rights to women, communist propaganda, socialist propaganda. Basically, the mail office had this huge mandate to remove anything from the mail they didn't like. Fun. Getting rid of like the Comstock laws is actually sort of a really underappreciated win like for the left because like before it was just incredibly easy to get someone arrested from based on what they sent in the mail. The big thing I had in here is that they around World War One and around the turn of the last last century, there was a huge explosion in like leftist, socialist, unionist, whatever magazines. Uh, so things like the Baffler. Exactly. The Jacobin of its day. Sure. <laughs> no, you had magazines like um, The Masses, which was considered the most dangerous magazine in America. They were able to like spread all these ideas. They were extremely anti-war. If you look at some old issues, they've got some really like, there are things like, hey, do you want to stay in a boarding house in XY City that's full of comrades? Come to Karl Marx Boarding House. <laughs> yeah, and it was like this building of this really robust, they were very into like new and groundbreaking art. So like the covers are often really great, but they were able to do this because the post office had this special shipping rate for magazines where like you could do direct mail really cheaply. And a lot hmm. of uh, a lot of the leftist magazines like were sort of devoted to keeping their rates down as low as possible. I think it was five cents for the masses. And when the war kicked into gear, a lot of people realized, oh, wait, we could use the fact that there was this explosion in like magazines. And to be fair, a lot of the magazines were junk or they were basically advertisements covered for it. We could use this explosion in the special rate mail to kill all these leftist productions by claiming that they're either A, they're junk magazines, and we have a right. mandate to get rid of junk magazines, or two, they're anti-war, which the masses can't have that. certainly was. And they can yeah. say, we're not saying you can't publish what you want. It's a First Amendment issue. You just can't get this special postage rate, which effectively means no one can afford to buy it. 
Yeah, sure. It's very interesting that you hear all these things nowadays where Trump is coming out in the State of the Union and saying, like, America will never, ever be a socialist country. Like, we're not going to let it happen. <laughs> right. Not with that attitude, it won't. Well, <laughs> but like, you look back and it's like, Labor Day is a federal holiday. The labor movement, like, fundamentally changed this country to create the weekend and, like, the 40-hour week. You're right that they don't really teach this stuff in history classes. Like, I remember vaguely, like, learning a little bit about, like, McCarthyism and how it was bad. But they kind of portray it as, like, well, it was bad because he went too far and he was accusing non-communists of being communist. And that's the bad part about it. And you don't really learn that there was the city of Milwaukee had many very popular socialist mayors, which was mind blowing to me. So I take it you've never seen Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I didn't do a deep watch to really get the subtext of, of what was going on there. It means the good land. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good starting point to work on. And I, you know, I, th I do think that the really radical history of American labor is often like deliberately not taught, especially when you consider how violent the response against the labor movement was in the U.S. compared to Europe. In Europe, it would be really bad if one or two people were killed in a movement. Meanwhile, like Virginia, they were just mowing people down with machine guns. Yeah, sure. The what mountain uprising? Blair Mountain. Yeah, Blair Mountain Uprising, where you literally had like tens of thousands of people taking up arms against the against the government. The the Green Corn Rebellion in Oklahoma. Oh, sure. It was a really modest sort of like basically a walkout or a march on the Capitol. And, um, you know, they shot like four people. And then they blamed the IWW and the Socialist Party of Oklahoma for it, even though they had nothing to do with it. Uh, one thing that really stuck out to me while I was reading through articles that you linked about the first Red Scare was the way that it collapsed. Uh, basically, you had a bunch of really high level people in the government, including uh, a young J. Edgar Hoover at the time, mm -hmm. talking about how uh, May Day 1920 was going to be this massive attempt of the Bolsheviks and the anarchists to take over the government. And they were going to they had a hit list and they were going to come and drag people out of their houses. And then May Day 1920 came and went and nothing like that happened. And everybody had mud on their face. I wonder if you see a parallel between that and some of the, say, like Fox News fear mongering or like CPAC, you know, Sebastian Gorka talking about how, you know, the Green New Deal is a watermelon. It's it's green on the outside, but it's red in the middle um, that if these things come and go without there being, you know, massive leftist insurgency in the streets, do you see that sort of hysteria dying down somewhat the way that it did with the first Red Scare. Part of the reason the hysteria died down in the U.S. was because of the embarrassing mistakes of Hoover. And he sincerely believed that his entire life, by the way. He was an intensely paranoid, petty man. Oh, for sure. In fact, he even says, you know, in his writings in the 60s that, like, the thing he fears most is a cross-racial solidarity movement among the poor. Yeah. So it's like... Make Hoover terrified again, everyone. <laughs> Not too dissimilar from that uh, former Maine governor. Part of the reason was like there was this really violent attempts to crush the American labor movement, but also like the economy of the country changed very rapidly into the 1920s until like the eventual collapse. And you had, you know, the thing that doesn't make me too happy about the current situation is that you had two completely corrupt 
do-nothing presidents who just made the situation worse and worse. Yeah. But in terms of, like, the hysteria dying down, the hysteria never really died down. It just moves from public view. The John Birch Society was basically repeating the same talking points in the 50s that these guys were repeating in, like, the Hoover was repeating in the 20s. Yeah, and, sure. you know, John Birch Society rhetoric is now Fox News rhetoric, and it's the number one news source in the country. So I don't think these people go away because they're the people who own them monetarily have a vested monetary interest in stopping a leftist movement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm reminded also of the, uh, you know, the, the attempted or at least the kind of plotted out coup against FDR. Um, who wasn't even a socialist. He was just a, you know, like a New Deal uh, Democrat. Uh, and he had all of these plutocrats who came together and um, decided that including, I think, uh, George H.W. Bush's grandfather was part of that group uh, with an actual plan to take over the government, like commit a a business class coup of the American government. And you don't hear about. J. Edgar or any of these, you know, Red Scare congressmen ever being really worried about that coming from the right wing. It's it's always from the masses of the people, the worker. Yeah, well, one has the power to actually change something. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good point. It seems like they're really trying to ramp up this new Red Scare thing again. I mean, that's kind of their new tactic to say, geez, we're not doing so great uh, ourselves we better ramp up the attacks and say, hey, you got to keep voting for us or apparently like, you know, Mao Zedong Venezuelan thugs are going to just you <laughs> right. know, murder all white children with UN uh, guns or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they used to say it was North Korea, but now apparently we're like BFFs with North Korea. <laughs> yeah, so. they're, they're a shining city on a hill. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm out of touch with everyday Americans, but it seems like Gorka getting up at CPAC saying like, the communists want to take away your pickup trucks and hamburgers. <laughs> I don't really know if that is going to work. Yeah, no, it's a it's a big talking point that it, we, we've talked about it a couple of weeks in a row now that the Green New Deal is supposed to kill all the cows. But that's not in there. And everybody who's looked at it for more than 30 seconds knows that that's not in there. Just let's try to rearrange the way people eat. So maybe we're not you know, doing so much like factory farming anymore. This really ridiculous uh, scaremongering that I don't know, John, do you think a, do you think there's a difference back in the first Red Scare? It was fairly easy for them to crack down on leftist publications. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's a difference between the first Red Scare and what we're going through right now in that the access to information has become much more democratized and distributed? They may not be as successful in, you know, counter-programming or, or fully running the narrative? Uh, yes and no. I, I think that, you know, me mainstream media has become incredibly consolidated and, you know, the majority of people get their news from Facebook, which, as we know, is not exactly a neutral actor here. Sure. I would be more worried that all the spaces we use to communicate and to organize and to spread information and ideas are all being monitored. Well, I think that's probably true, but I was just thinking, you know, Back in the, the late 1910s, while the FBI was infiltrating like anarchist worker groups, they probably were bringing up at their meetings, you know, we could just like bomb this guy or like kidnap this plutocrat and his family. Whereas now, 
I kind of wish that a bunch of FBI agents would infiltrate DSA meetings because they would just blow their brains out from being so bored. <laughs> Imagining the internal committee, ah, I will now descend into their anarchist depths. Right. Five minutes later, it's like, can we please just get past the bylaws? <laughs> right. <laughs> if you read, uh, what was it called? Uh, Threat of the First Order. It was all about FBI infiltration of uh, 1960s student groups. And they were all about, like, pushing them to become more violent so the public would turn on them. Not unlike what we saw, you know, post 9-11 with the FBI infiltrating mosques and trying to radicalize, you know, like, young Muslim men. I guess the real big difference interpretation is that it's a lot harder to shut down a publication now, or at least, like, it's harder to well, take the model of Jacobin. Like, how are they going to shut down Jacobin if they wanted to? You know what? Donald Trump would love to. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Once him and Clarence Thomas team up to reform libel laws <laughs> and bring in their new like free speech policy, apparently. Well, John, your piece in The Baffler comes out. Uh, when does that drop? Uh, March 5th. March 5th. So right around just a couple of days after this episode. So we really encourage everybody to go and support John's work over at The Baffler. Buy a copy, do a little mutual support, chip in for this, because I cannot wait to see this piece, and uh, I think that our listeners are going to be able to get a lot out of that. And for added liquid flannel bonus content, the title of the piece was suggested by Matt himself. Oh, yeah. What was it? What, what did we settle on? Red's a future past. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I get some cut of the commission for this, I assume. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's a that's a very be rolling in that socialist dough, man. That's only in socialism for the money. You know, you know how it is. Well, we can't wait for the piece, John. Uh, Thanks for the thanks for the rundown on it. And let's uh, take a break, and we'll bring it out on, you know, a different high note. In recognizing a communist, physical appearance counts for nothing. If he openly declares himself to be a communist, we take his word for it. If a person consistently reads and advocates the views expressed in a communist publication, he may be a communist. If a person supports organizations which reflect communist teachings or organizations labeled communist by the Department of Justice, she may be a communist. If a person defends the activities of communist nations while consistently attacking the domestic and foreign policy of the United States, she may be a communist. If a person does all these things over a period of time, he must be a communist. But there are other communists who don't show their real faces, who work more silently. So, bringing it out on a high note this week, not following a low note for once. Uh, so that's a that's a yeah. change. That was a John's article is a very high note. I can't wait for it accentuate the positive (laughs) so my my high note this week it may be a little bit non-traditional but i wanted to throw a shout out to my new twitter friend demon and uh he uh he has opened up my eyes to the fact that uh i think our podcast is popular with furries (laughs) With the with the leftist furry community, so and why yeah. should it? Not so I be? think we all need to declare our fursona animals. Oh, <laughs> have, you, have you guys given this a lot of thought? Never, you don't just spring that on someone. I've never even thought about it. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, no, feel free to. I do like that idea that like uh that that white people should never talk about their spirit animal. Like a white person's spirit animal is always just mm. a persona. Well, maybe we could maybe we could do each other. You know, is it like you can't claim your own persona? <laughs> Are you must trying be, like, to gifted upon you? It's like a nickname. Are you trying to start a fight? Look, I'll go first. I'm a non-sexual bat. Ooh. All right. Yeah. Ooh, you don't see a lot of that out there. Exotic. You don't see a lot of bats. No, it's true. I don't like having hands. Hmm. Do you think there's, um, like, in the furry community, is there racism against bats because they're, like, such weird mammals and they can fly? Do you think? Why are you asking me like I'm an authority? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I don't know, like, Fursona bats are probably pretty cute. There's like a there's like there's a sonic be like fursona uh, flying squirrels out there. There's a sonic uh, character who's like a villain who's a girl who's like a, a weird bat. Um, uh, she's really okay. really weird looking. <laughs> she kind of looks like Mimi from uh, from Drew Carey. Um, I think the more interesting question is: uh, Did Sonic the Hedgehog start? I'm the learning so. I think it was a huge factor. Uh, I think it was a non-trivial uh, piece of the puzzle there. Um, but yeah. I, I'm going to go with just like a cat. I'm just going to be a cat person. I'm going to be like uh, like in Skyrim mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I used to roll with Jazargo uh, from the Mages College. He was cool. He's a cool dude. Yeah, sure. You'll, you'll be... yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I always play uh, I always play Kaji when I play a, an Elder Scrolls game. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't really want to pick one. I feel like I've really been put on the spot here, and I've never thought about uh, which uh, which cartoon animal I find the sexiest. <laughs> well, that you want that you need to be as know. your as your as your representation. I was kind of. I was thinking yeah. that you might just go with like a dog. I mean, that's very. That's very typical. Are there people who are there people who do, uh, kind of like, I'm not gonna say non traditional animals, but uh, ones that it's kind of hard to picture them. Having sexual relations with other animals, like are there furry giraffes oh, out there? I mean, that seems like on. that would be. I mean, that, very I'm awkward. sure that's not even close to the <laughs> to, to the most uh, obscure stuff that they got out there. I you're you're familiar yeah. with the like with a, the rules. Is it still is it still a furry if you pick like an armadillo or like a pangolin, something that's covered in like hard <laughs> I scales? So. I think there there is a little bit of a schism <laughs> between like the mammalian and like the the more lizardy. Uh, you know, ones. You know, that's a that's a little bit of a. Oh <laughs> yeah, sure. Excuse me, David Ike told us all about that. <laughs> <laughs> what? Did, what did? Uh, is it Ike? I thought it was Icky. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> what? Did, what did? Uh, what did David Ike I don't know, say just about his, that? His general belief that we're all at war with the reptile people. <laughs> yeah. No, Alex Jones was talking about that the other day too. <laughs> Anti-Semites really don't like that. That's not a uh, a code word for him. Because he always has to like repeatedly say, "No, I mean lizard people." <laughs> this is yeah. This is not a code. I'm talking literal, literal lizard people, like that uh, '80s uh, TV series. What was it? Just V. V. Is that what yeah. The, that was the lizard. Well, <laughs> the lizard people. Speaking of, I'm sorry. Documentary. Documentary. Not, uh, <laughs> well, you know, speaking of like right wing crazy people, when they rebooted V for like '09, the conservatives no, all said, for... "Oh, this is the secret truth behind Barack Obama." <laughs> <laughs> and then no one watched it because it was a bad show. Yeah, that's why you're always seeing Obama hanging out on the beach, you know, uh, shirtless. He's got to absorb uh, the the sun because uh, he's he's a cold blooded lizard person. Mm. Not to mention the copious sand mites. Okay, who? I think we lost Matt. Hello. 
Oh, hey. Hey, I'm back. Okay. Well, hey. You missed hey. nothing of Perfect value. Perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know what is going on with Let's Skype just, tonight. No, Sorry, perfect. Guys. Let's just move on to a new high point. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> yes, for sure. All right. Well, uh, other other interesting uh, internet phenomena this week. Um, I actually have really been enjoying this uh, Momo challenge meme that's been going on. Uh, don't. If you haven't seen it, there's a uh, yeah. Well, look, it's just okay. If you haven't seen it. Basically, the the urban legend is that on like Instagram or Snapchat, I think there's a, a a person named Momo who will like try to friend your kids, and then it'll be like Momo's gonna kill you unless you like cut your arm or something like that. Uh, and it's it's this really creepy like art installation. It looks like a picture from like an SCP or something like that. Oh, it's pretty, SCP, it's pretty creepy right? for sure. Well, it's creepy out of it's context. Pretty creepy. If you see the whole sculpture, it's clearly just a chicken person. And oh, like, okay. Yeah. That helped me calm yeah, it's just down. Somebody with like I saw that big image like the first thing at like three in the morning after like five gin and tonics and I couldn't go to bed <laughs> anymore. Yeah, it's just a normal chicken person. No nothing to be alarmed about, everyone. Come on. Yeah. What what I'm what I'm loving about the Momo challenge though is that it doesn't <laughs> yeah, exist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like a whole yeah, a whole bunch of people. Uh, did some research into it and it turns out that like no these messages aren't being sent there's no actual uh, there are no verified accounts of any kids getting this kind of message uh, and it's basically just uh, like the next what it reminds me of is uh, do you remember growing up John maybe you didn't have this but uh, certainly Brendan and I did uh, where like letters would go out from the oh, elementary yeah. school that was like there are people driving around giving out little blue star temporary tattoos of, like warn your kids about those because they're actually lsd do these people and, know how much lsd you know, costs like, uh, yeah exactly exactly well, that's that's exactly the thing i mean it's, yeah, it's just it was like, like 1993 you know, never, it's not like they're like giving it to kids and then like filming it for you know snapchat or something like they, they would just like what would be <laughs> right. the purpose of do- it makes absolutely no sense when you think about <laughs> yeah. it for, for three seconds I mean, it's just like a little bit later, you know, they're talking about, you know, like never take a joint at a party from someone you don't know because it could be laced with PCP. It's like nobody's giving away their PCP. Like if they're giving you PCP, they're definitely <laughs> telling you about that. Well, also, um, and now I'm completely blanking on his name, the guy who made Night in the Woods. Oh, uh, Bombs Fall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I see you remember his I forget Twitter really. name. Uh, yeah. But he said, like, oh, this is the exact same thing <laughs> as when my – because he's, I think, a little older than us – when my conservative parents would freak out about D&D because there was this idea that there was a secret hidden message in it that was going to corrupt your children without them knowing. And it's all about oh, this, for sure. It's all about this oh, external sure. contamination through media. Yeah, it's the same. Uh, it's the same satanic panic that you saw with that, or uh, like after Columbine when uh, they didn't want to. Uh, obviously, even back in what was that, nineteen ninety eight, they didn't want to look at like gun culture or depression or anything like that. It was just Marilyn Manson. Like they, these guys listened to Marilyn Manson. That was what it was. Manson making a couple of appearances <laughs> on the show. Sign of a revival. <laughs> he's in the. He's in the effluvia out there. Hey, me- Mechanical Animals still whips, and I-, I will go to bat for that album. It, it did pop up on my Alexa anyway, so the like, other day when I was listening to 90s yeah, Alternative. Oh, yeah. my God. He's everywhere. Well, hey, there, there are some bops Well, I mean, like, I, I think we're on the on the edge of, like, a 90s alternative retrospective because I was just outside a McDonald's, like, play place recently. And, like, they're playing songs, and the songs are, like, they're for the parents, you know, not the mm. kids. 
and like Nine Inch Nails came on. <laughs> and I'm like, for the for the kids. No, and I was just sitting here like, wow, this is a weird choice for McDonald's. And two, no, it's not because this is now dad music. <laughs> so that's my uh, that's my high note for this week. I just think it's really funny to see. The way these things come and go, and I mean, there's literally just... one every like six months, and every time yeah. one comes out, everyone forgets that like weren't like there were all those stories like a year ago where it was like, oh, clowns, just creepy clowns, are just kidnapping people, and it's oh, like, yeah. oh, wait, that actually wasn't happening. Uh, at yeah, all. the clowns standing on the side of the highway just to like scare people, and people were like, I'm going out clown hunting. You know, if I see a clown on Halloween, I'm just gonna shoot him. Yeah. Uh, that is rub. that is where it gets a little bit dangerous. Uh, I don't think anyone's really at risk of shooting this sculpture or anything. But uh, anyway, so it's it's been kind of fun to follow uh, that, you know, all these credulous. Um, I don't know. It's like anti-vaxxer wine moms and stuff or like this is totally real. And if you don't believe me, like, look at this video. And it, the first reply every time is like. That was in the creepypasta subreddit like three years ago. Well, that yeah, I mean, that's that's yeah. big business now. I mean, get ready for the, like the Momo Cinematic Universe trilogy uh, coming summer 2020. Oh, yeah. Set your yeah, calendars sure. now. Hey, they did it with uh, they did it with Slender, Slender? Man. I got to talk to my nephew and see if he's heard about Momo yet, because I'm sure he has. Well, I guess like the interesting sort of twist, you know, because horror always like these panics always reflect back. Uh, usually nuggets of real anxiety is that, you know, it was like, it was sneaking into YouTube videos. And I think a lot of parents are like really worried about what their kids are seeing on YouTube because a lot of it is as well. They should is, be by the way. Yeah, just there's plenty of thing. real yeah. things to be worried about. I mean, on YouTube, not just, you don't need to make up fake things. Yeah. Like that's the thing. It's like the stuff that's like, especially marketed towards kids on YouTube is already incredibly disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I don't know. Is that the that's probably the takeaway, right? Yeah, it's way easier to real. focus on. Right. Yeah. It's way way easier to focus on this this creepy pasta from 4chan from like five years ago than it is to you know actually monitor what your kids are doing on the internet. Well, John, you have to rescue us from this high note. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Thanks a it lot. It was too spooky. Too spooky for for high notes, bro. Mine's hilarious. You guys are just <laughs> you know. We're a little emotionally <laughs> fragile right now. Okay, I have an actual high note. So in Berlin, they're thinking of taking on a really radical new approach to their housing laws in response to uh, rising rents and corporate control. Okay. And it's considered quite radical, but it actually has really broad popular support. And the mayor of Berlin has said that he's behind it 100%. They are going to institute rent freezes of up to five to ten years. Dang. Council ownership of um, deciding like who to rent to and why and who can buy what building, including buying back, a, I believe, a quarter of public housing that had been previously sold to private companies. Whoa. And my personal favorite, they're going to ban mass ownership of buildings. So you can't have one company that owns like 200 buildings. Oh, oh outstanding. So like if you own a property, you actually have to like live in it and it, it's yours and it's your thing. And it can't just be like like here where a hedge fund owns 35% of all empty real estate in the city. Imagine some sort of system where people who lived in a building could work together 
to, you know, mutually help each other with building maintenance and upkeep. Um, or, what a or crazy pool their idea. resources so they could hire someone to do that for them. Maybe some sort of tenants unification project or a co cooperation <laughs> system. It'll never work. It'll never work. There's no money in it. There's no money in living a peaceful and safe, uh, normal life. Well, we all, I'm, I'm pulling we all know up housing a, is a luxury. I'm pulling up a news article on this, and it's so beautifully fitting that this came from uh, like a, a nascent tenants union on East Berlin's Karl Marx Alley. <laughs> Don't you love how literal everything is now? Absolutely. Well, like you said, uh, you know, if the apocalypse is is unmasking, then right. Uh, yeah, let the let the workers take off their masks too. Yes. The hook that we need to get is we need to just have like a Christian socialism revival. Um, cause that was, that was pretty big for a while there too. Um, and you know, they, they, they love, uh, they love Israel so much. Uh, the tradition of the kibbutz, uh, is also very sure. popular. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of avenues, uh, into, uh, getting, getting that socialism going. Yeah. Churches can be amazing, uh, allies. I mean, depending on the, you know, the, the orthodoxy within the particular church, but yeah, I think, uh, particularly uh, appealing to Christian sense of, you know, that your your savior was a rough, more or less socialist, you know, carpenter who, you know, lived for free with all of his buddies. Uh, Not yeah. my savior, buddy. <laughs> he drove an F-150 and he loved hamburgers. Was that uh, Al Franken's uh, supply side Jesus? <laughs> well, that's great, John. That's a, that's a wonderful high note. Um, yeah, let's... Uh, Let's see what we can do to get that kind of thing going here in the United States. Maybe maybe some of these newly elected officials in Chicago can start pushing that. Sounds good to me. Chicago has some of the highest uh, homeless rates and some of the lowest occupancy rates for its buildings because it, uh, it never quite recovered after its uh, 08 crash. So it has a lot right. of empty, empty apartments. That's how my friend Spike like, was able to buy an apartment. Oh, yeah. Right. Just uh, like bargain bin prices on yeah it was it was one of the few cities where that happened because like in new york and los angeles and san francisco a lot of the properties were just transferred to other banks or they were bought by hedge fund companies sure but chicago i guess being full of wholesome midwesterners didn't think about doing that so. <laughs> or they weren't savvy enough to figure it out so they were just left yeah. with all these assets they couldn't empty out and they had yeah, to like to lower prices to the chagrin of uh, Rahm Emanuel, I'm sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, great. That's a that's a great high note to take us out on. Um, John Levitt, thanks for joining us again. Um, right. Plug your everything. Oh, I'm John Levitt. I'm unfortunately online at Levitt Alone on the Twitter L E A V I T T. Also, LevittAlone.com is my main portfolio site. And yeah, be sure to be on the lookout for The Baffler on your magazine newsstands or leftist coffee shops of choice, March 5th. And we will make sure to uh, put that on on the Liquid Flannel account as well. So uh, you can find... Do they carry that at, at Walmart or is that just... <laughs> do they replace it with like guns and ammo too? <laughs> it's sold exclusively at Sheets. <laughs> <laughs>
So go find one. It'll be there. Uh, not going to be there next to the uh, like Daniel Steele and Dan Brown novels. <laughs> well, you can find our plug on our Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. Um, I'll probably retweet that myself on my uh, personal Twitter account at Matt the Gweet with a W. And Brendan, who does not believe in mutual support, probably will not be retweeting it. He's a capitalist. He's just glaring at me through the Skype what? screen now. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm tweeting my uh, capitalist memes and uh, my love for hamburgers uh, on Twitter at Brendan Williams with one L. Um, let's go trucks let's go <laughs> man one thing that we we didn't bring up but we we should just mention it real quick at at the uh cpac uh turning point usa uh cocktail party they put up their like special cocktail oh. list um and i'm just gonna read these they're, the they're like give me a give me a kavanaugh beer that's a it's a beer <laughs> right it's just a it's just a beer how do you order that except you drink 40 of them and then you rape some yeah you, you go up and say uh i'll have the kavanaugh i like beer and then they just give you a beer uh they'll say uh it, creative it, yeah if you, if you order the aoc you get a juice box um would love to uh i would just love to see uh, some of these chuds walking around and they're like blue blazers and khaki pants and like lanyards and bow ties, like drinking out of a juice box. Like, no, guys, well, I think jokes, it would be on, a- jokes on AOC. <laughs> I think it would be appropriate because if you looked at those crowds, everyone was either like a rapidly melting wax statue <laughs> or a 12 year old in a blazer. <laughs> right. <laughs> That was just, that was Ben Shapiro. (laughs) No, Ben Shapiro is currently fighting off the mice in the back room. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again, John. Thanks, Brendan. Yeah, thanks, everybody. We'll see you. We'll see you next week for more. I don't know. Whatever we do. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we're still, we're still here. Um, Hopefully the the North Korea nukes don't come flying, or the uh, uh, yeah the India Pakistan conflict doesn't escalate any uh, further, or uh, nukes you know possibly nukes the, akimbo. the FBI decides to crack down on uh, podcast distribution. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you all next week. Fingers crossed.